Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know that I am a huge fan of all things Harry Potter. And towards the end of uh, the, the movie versions of the books, there's this really beautiful scene that I want to tell you about this morning. Harry and Hermione and Ron are out on the run. Uh, they have narrowly escaped disaster. They are being hunted by all of the cruel minions of Voldemort. And so they're camping in the wilderness and moving from place to place to place to place, trying to be safe, but not really knowing where they're going or what's going to happen next. It's a very scary, very frustrating, very confusing and chaotic time for them. And one afternoon, Ron is taking a nap, and Harry and Hermione are are trying to figure out what to do, and, and while they're trying to plot a plan, they're listening to the radio, desperately listening to see if there's any word about any of their loved ones back home that they can't see anymore. And suddenly a song comes on the radio. And without speaking to each other, they just stand up and they begin to dance. They dance with each other. And it's this beautiful, tender moment, this this joyful, beautiful moment shared between two dear, dear friends who love each other. They've been together for for years through thick and thin. They're, They're good, good friends. And they just share this moment of joy together in the midst of all of the craziness that's whirling around them. And I thought about that scene as I read again this story for today of David dancing before the ark. Just a little bit of of history context for us to know where we're at. Uh, David is not the first king of Israel, but he's kind of the first real king. The first one wasn't very good at it. And it took a long time for Israel this disparate group of 12 tribes of brothers that didn't always like each other and were constantly threatened by their neighbors. But finally, by David's hard work and the blessings of God, David was able to bring them all together into one united kingdom. And so David is the first king of the united kingdom of God's people. And one of the first decisions that he has to make is where to plant the capital city. This was an issue for our country when we first started too, right? Where, where do you call the capital knowing that all 13 states want to have it for their own? And they had the same problem back then. David could have chosen Hebron where this story begins. He could have chosen Bethel or Bethlehem or any other story, any other city that had some significance to God's people. But he knew that if he chose any of those, they would be in the territory of one and only one of the twelve tribes. And it would sow the seeds of discord and jealousy, and this tender, fragile unity would be threatened. And so instead he establishes the capital in Jerusalem, a city that heretofore did not belong to Israel. And it's an excellent military strategy to choose Jerusalem. Jerusalem is central to all of the kind of territory that Israel has claimed. It's high up on several hills so they can see all around and and easily defend it. And it has its own internal water source fed by a spring. So if they were ever under siege, they would be able to have fresh water. But most importantly, Jerusalem was neutral territory. It didn't belong to anybody, which meant, of course, it belonged to everyone. And most importantly, it belonged to God. 
So they established Jerusalem as the, as the central city, the, the capital of the kingdom of Israel. But David knows that if this fragile unity of God's people is ever to hold, they're going to need God in the center of their lives. Now, David is not always going to remember that, mind you. He was fairly quick to forget lots of things. But in the beginning, he knew that if this was going to hold, God would have to be at the center. And so they go to get the ark. The ark, we talked about several weeks ago, it's this fancy box, really well decorated, that holds a bunch of artifacts, including the commandments, right? It's a special box, but it's more than just a box. It is the place where God sits. It's a chair, a throne. When God chooses to be present with God's people, God sits on the ark. And so it, it symbolizes the presence and power of God. And so they wanted to bring it. So, so they had to go get it. And, and for reasons that are inexplicable in Scripture, uh, the ark is being used as a coffee table in some guy's frat pad right now. It's, it's just in somebody's tent, and they have to go get it. But then they bring it, and they put it in the center of Jerusalem and celebrate that God is with them. And then they dance. And they really dance. I mean, they dance like the Broncos just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it is, they, they, they throw a party to beat all parties. They're singing and praising and playing all kinds of instruments, and they are dancing so hard that in a few chapters, we will find out that David's wife was terribly embarrassed by his dancing, which actually I think most people's wives are terribly embarrassed by their dancing. At least I know mine is. But they dance, and they dance like crazy. And, and it would be easy to think that this is the party to beat all parties, right? That they have everything to celebrate and that they have reached the kind of conclusion of their story. It's a, it's a huge, fabulous party to end all parties. But that's not true. All is not well for the people of God. They are still, if you read before and after this story, you would find out they are are surrounded by danger, internal and external. They, this fragile unity will not hold for long. They will quickly forget who they are and, and who they belong to. They will fight with each other and their neighbors. This is a dangerous, fearful time. But for that moment, for that one brief moment, they danced. And they danced hard. Several years ago, uh, my wife and I were in Jerusalem. We were there in a, a fairly difficult time in Jerusalem's history, although it's hard to know what time isn't. If you ever go to Jerusalem, you've got to try real hard to be there on a Friday afternoon and go to the old city and, and get there early enough to sit on the steps that overlook the, the plaza in front of the Western Wall, one of the most holy sites in all of Judaism. Because as the Sabbath is approaching and the sun begins to set on Friday evening, thousands of people stream into that plaza dressed in their Sabbath vest, dressed head to toe in black fur and wool trench coats like they're going to a wedding in 19th century Siberia in the middle of the desert. But they gather thousands of them. 
to pray. And boy, do they pray. They pray loudly. They pray with their bodies. And they gather together. And if you watch this swarm of faithful people, you'll notice that suddenly these little swirls begin to develop, twisting and turning as men link arms with other men and begin to sing songs. Glorious songs of praise. And they dance. They dance in circles. They dance like it's a wedding or a bar mitzvah or every joyful event all put together. They dance. And it is a beautiful and holy and haunting thing to see. Knowing that here we are in Jerusalem. A city whose name literally means the city of peace. Which is either the most awesome dream and hopeful vision or just a cruel joke. But there in the midst of danger. In the midst of fear. They dance. They really dance. And then they rush home to share a meal with their families by candlelight to welcome God's gift of holy rest built into the fabric of creation. It is a beautiful thing to see. And it it strikes me that that is what worship is all about. That's why we are here. That's why we gather here week after week after week as often as possible. That's why, especially in our tradition, we place a huge emphasis on gathering as a community, as a body, to gather around these simple gifts of water, wine, wheat, and the Word of God's promise. Because here we dance with God in the lead. Here we celebrate. I know Lutherans aren't usually given to dancing, although we have some fairly good choreography for standing and sitting. You do well. Right? But this is, this is a celebration. It is a, a joyful noise that we make for the Lord in all of the various voices that we have because here we, we celebrate that God has come to dwell with us. That God is in the center of our lives. That actually what happens at this table that we rehearse in the waters of baptism is that God literally comes to crawl down your gullet, down into your belly, to rest behind your belly button in the very center of your life. And we rejoice, we celebrate, that if Christ is in the center, if God is in the heart of who we are, then the center will hold. That even though the world seems to be constantly falling apart, if Christ is in the center, the center will hold. And we will know rest. This last week I was reading a, a wonderful article written by uh, the presiding bishop of the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, our denomination, which some of you know her name now because of trivia the other night, right? Her name is Elizabeth Eaton. Bishop Eaton wrote this wonderful reflection this week about the difference between happiness and joy. She said, we live in a culture that is obsessed with happiness. We think that if we just put a smile on our face and think positive thoughts and just pretend that everything is awesome, that it will be. But we know it's not. We know it's not. She said, instead, Christians are not happy people. 
We are people of joy. And there is a significant difference. There's a reason that we wear a cross on our foreheads, not a smiley face. Because we know how much the world sucks sometimes. We know how broken things can be. We know what's going on out there. The junk that's in your car, that's in your closets, that's in your heart. We know. But we also know that that God has come to sit in the middle of all that stuff. To be at the very heart of all that stuff. And to bless it with God's own presence. So that we are never alone. And that we can rest in the joyful hope that God will bring us to rest. To holy, peaceful rest. And so we are people of joy. This last week, as I was wrestling with this text about dancing, I apologized, but I simply could not get the song Hotel California by the Eagles out of my head. It drove me completely nuts, and so now I give that gift to you. It's a weird song. I have no idea what it's about. I'm fairly certain the Eagles don't have any idea what it was about. But there's this one line in there that just kept rattling around, and the line is, some dance to remember, some dance to forget. Some dance to remember, some dance to forget. I think that's what Bishop Eaton is talking about. See, we don't get together here to raise our hands in joy and celebration, to pretend that everything is all hunky-dory in the world. We We don't gather here to forget about the troubles of the world. We remember who we are, where we're coming from, and where we're headed. But in the middle of all of that, Right in the center of it all. Christ is present. In this meal poured out for you. In that water, in this sign, Christ is present. And as long as Christ remains in the center of our lives, of our households, of our congregation, of our community, of our world, as long as Christ is in the center, the center will hold All will be well, and God will bring us rest. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.